All right, so Lord, as we come into agreement together, as two agreeing, we pray over the word of the Lord tonight. And we love your word. We thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here and hear the word of God. There's places I think about in China and others that they don't have the opportunities we do to have a Bible and hear the word as, as easily. And Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. We thank you so much for this tonight. And I pray that you would come upon me, a fresh anointing, and speak through me, Lord, the words of life. Let this go out as living seeds of truth and a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that are prepared by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you that the precious Holy Spirit, um, even now, those that are hearing this live or hearing this driving down the road or whatever, Lord, let your Holy Spirit just fill where people are and fill their hearts and minds and their lives. Help us to be good fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in every way. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit to be able to see and hear what you are saying, to get revelation. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we can know the hope to which you called us our inheritance. Let there be revelation. And I pray that the winds of your Spirit will carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. That your mighty angels watch over the Word. For you promised us it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. It will not return void. And so we bind any spirit that would try to hinder the word of God. And Lord, I ask you as you speak through me, let there be a light shining uh, of truth and revelation that will dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. And let it be a, your word like a hammer that breaks down strongholds, a sword that penetrates and cuts away. Let be the washing of the water of the word. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And Lord, as this goes out, just speak through me everything that needs to be spoken and help us, Lord, to lock into what you're saying. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you could bring my mic up maybe just a little bit, just a tiny bit so I don't have to feel like I'm yelling. Um, anyway, if y'all would, just as little moving around as possible and uh, as little talking, things like that, just to help me out. And, you know, I have to watch Ed over there. I was going to have him in mind when I preach, you know. Anyway, I'm going to deal with part 11, the power of the blood tonight. Man, I love the blood of Jesus. Do you guys know this is actual, this is the truth and it's sad and it's a sign of the times. But did you know that there are people that deliberately avoid the topic of the blood in churches? Man, the blood is why we're saved. The blood is how we're getting to heaven. And people refuse to talk about the blood. That's, that's a scary thing. But anyway, I'm going to deal with it tonight. And in 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15, if you're taking notes or whatever, just remember 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. David had around seven or eight places that he went when he was fleeing from Saul. When Samuel anointed David as a young man, he was somebody that had been a psalmist and somebody that was a worshiper and a prayer warrior. And God saw something in David, a heart that loved God, a heart that wanted to please God. And so God sent Samuel there to anoint David. And did you know, as soon as Samuel poured that oil on David's head, and that oil anointed David, the Bible says from that day forward, the Spirit of God came upon David in power. But from the moment that that oil anointed David, things were set in motion for David, and David, in God's eyes, in God's mind, 
was now becoming the king over Israel and Saul from that moment became irrelevant but yet even though that's the case Saul and his family continue to fight tooth and nail to retain the hold that they had over that nation I could rabbit trail there but you know many times even though God has moved on from something many times there's people that want to keep on with that and they'll fight tooth and nail to keep something that God has moved on from all right anyway so David gets anointed and David begins to he goes and he kills Goliath and people start singing about him and Saul gets jealous and Saul begins to try to kill David pursue him and there were these different places that David fled to and some scholars believe it could have been up to around 16 years which would probably be the high end of it but nonetheless it was a long time it wasn't a few months it was years that David fled and while David was fleeing the different places he went have symbolic prophetic meaning I talked about Naoth and Raman it, it, it has to do with understanding our authority in Christ it's important that we understand that and also I talked about how he, David went to Ezel which had to do with the person of the Holy Spirit then I talked about Nob last week and David went there and it was where the priest word had to do with prayer but this week David flees I'm talking about him fleeing to Gath and Gath means wine press and it has to do with the blood and so David symbolically here obviously but David had to learn about the power of the blood and that's for us today we've got to learn the awesome power of the blood of Christ and I'm gonna tell you something if you really think about this I know many times it's easy to read over these things and and really it's hard to relate to them but I want you to try your best and I will as well to put ourselves in David's shoes for a little bit you know David wrote Psalms like a thousand may fall at my side ten thousand at my right hand he talked about how God had to give him sleep you grant sleep to your beloved and you have to understand that a lot of these things came out of David's travels and and when he was fleeing from Saul and also when he had to go to battle and see it's hard for you and I to really relate to this but when you're out on a battlefield you know the mindset that God is with me and you're in combat and there's people trying to kill you and he said though a thousand fall at my sign ten thousand my right hand it won't come near me and he's He's having, to, he's having to believe God to protect him and give him victory. And when you're out on a battlefield and, and you find a place to rest at night, you know as well as I do there has to be that looming thought in the back of your mind, what if I go to sleep and the enemy shows up? And so David had to trust God to give him sleep. And in all of this time, David really had to grow in his faith and believe God for things that maybe he had never had to believe God for. But God had prepared him. While he was a shepherd, God had given him the opportunity to face the lion and the bear before he faced Goliath. And so God was always at work in David's life, preparing him for these days. But David had to learn to really have a lot of faith in God and faith in his protection. And I remember reading things like this. He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God is with me. His rod and his staff will comfort me. And what does he say? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows, but he says he's prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. 
And see, David had fled to Gath, which was among the Philistines. And so David was around his enemies, so to speak. And David had to learn how to know God, walk with God, walk in his presence, trust him in extremely difficult times. And if you and I want to be used of God in a mighty way, we're also going to have to learn this. And one of the things we're going to have to learn is the power of the blood. See, the blood should be on the doorpost of our lives, but the blood is something, and please remember that I said this, the blood is something that needs to be applied daily. And, it, you know, as a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say that if you look at the pattern of the morning and the evening sacrifice, what was called Korban Tamid above, among the, the Hebrew scholars, is eternal sacrifice. It was something every morning, every evening, there was a lamb slain, the blood was shed. And when you look back at Passover, you think about the blood of that lamb over the doorpost and how that blood brought protection to anybody under that roof. I mean, the entire family, all that were there were protected under that blood. And God's trying to paint a picture. And I believe that symbolically when David said God's given me a table in the presence of my enemies, I believe that he's making a reference to Passover and to the communion table that we have today that even though there may be enemies that encompass roundabout, there's still a place, a table, where we can come up under the blood and we can have fellowship with the Lord. There's a place under the blood where you're protected from the demonic forces. There's a place under the blood where you, because of the blood and under the blood, that you can come into the secret place a place in the Lord's glory, a place where you're under his, um, symbolically his wings, it's, it's talit, under his prayer shawl, that you're hid away in his presence. But that the, only play, the only way we're going to get to that place is through the blood. And when we understand the power of the blood and all that the blood causes us to, to have available in Christ, and we really reverence the blood of the Lamb and we come through the blood, we're going to realize that there is a secret place that you can abide and there's a place of tremendous protection and i don't have time to go too much into this but i'll throw it out there that job every morning job got up and and he was concerned about his family he was a man of prayer and this was in a time before moses when there was a priesthood that we don't know a lot about it's it's called in the order of melchizedek and 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 the husband was like the priest of the family and they would you know kill an animal and shed blood for the family and job was so concerned about his children and his family that on a regular basis when they would have different parties and celebrations he would go and he would sacrifice an animal and he would bring his family under the blood and he was concerned and because of that blood if you read the book of job satan himself had appeared before god with some of his fallen angels and god said have you considered job and satan said this Satan said there's a hedge of protection around him and his family and all that he has. Basically, if I can paraphrase it, Satan is saying that I can't get to him and I can't touch him because there's a hedge. There's some kind of a protection around his family. And I can tell you why that was there. It was because of the blood. Job brought his family under the blood. And I think about the communion table and how, we, you know, at Passover, the blood of the lamb over the the doorpost and it literally brought an entire family under the blood and we'll deal with that some as we go 
but the blood brings such protection. All right, so let's let's go through this. Number one, the glory. Hebrews 9, 7, but only the high priest entered the inner room, talking about the Holy of Holies once a year, and never without blood. Would you take note of that? You may underline that. See, a lot of Christians want to come into God's presence. They just want to just waltz in. There's a protocol. I don't care if you're a Christian. You know, people say we have a new and better covenant. That's true. Everything's fulfilled in Christ. But if you neglect the blood, I promise you that spiritually you're going to end up in a dry place. Because it, because it is the blood that brings you into the glory of the Lord. The priest came into the Holy of Holies never without blood, which he offered for himself for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, speaking of Jesus, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Christ has made a way. Where once there was access through the blood of animals, Christ has fulfilled that as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb once and for all, slain for the sins of the world his blood is what gives us access into the glory and it's important that we understand the power of the blood because you know satan is it is an accuser but i'll tell you something even though satan may accuse us to god and there may be other people that accuse us to god if you understand the power of the blood you'll understand that you can say out loud to god even though i may not be perfect the blood of Jesus speaks on my behalf and the blood settles every claim against me the blood cancels every accusation against me why because the blood washes me and the blood declares me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so it doesn't matter what the devil says and it doesn't matter what other people say the it matters what the blood says and the blood says I'm righteous it's important that we have that kind of faith in the blood You talk about high-level protection. In these latter days, we're going to be dealing with some powerful forces of darkness. And I'm talking about in heavenly places. But the Bible says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers triumphing over them at the cross. And there needs to be out of our mouths a faith declaration that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from the hand of every enemy. And that even things that circulate in the heavens... The Bible says they're disarmed, that Christ defeated them at the cross, and it's important that out loud, out of our mouths, we are making declarations that there is nothing circulating in the second heaven that can touch me or my family because the blood of Jesus is against it. We are under the blood of the Lamb. And we're going to be facing weird warfare, occult-level warfare, witches and people that try to target God's people. But the Bible is clear that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Every tongue that rises against us will condemn. The Bible says a curse by a cause cannot light upon us. And we need to have out loud out of our mouths faith declarations that the blood destroys every curse and every attack that would attempt to come against us from the dark arts or in any other place. It is destroyed in the name of Jesus and by his awesome blood. The 
So I don't have time to go into the communion table in depth. I've dealt with that in a series I did called Communion Hebrew Roots. It's on our website. People can look it up if you're interested. It's an in-depth study. But as I mentioned before, the table in the presence of our enemies has to do with the communion table. And David and his men, last week I talked about in Nob, they ate the consecrated bread. They were weary. I believe there's something really powerful about the communion table that as we come together, you know, individually we need to be taking communion on our own. I understand that. But when we come together as a corporate body, there's something that is so powerful about collectively unifying at the table of the Lord and that we take of the bread and we take of the fruit of the vine together and we reverence the body and the blood of the Lord that there is something about God giving us a table in the presence of our enemies and giving us strength for the battle. There is something in the way of divine health that surges through us. There's something of a deep consecration that takes place. We're different areas of our lives that the enemy may be, you know, attacking or whatever, or areas people struggle with, that there's a deep purging, there's a cleansing as we reverence the blood. There's some kind of a supernatural unity that takes place. There's deliverance from the demonic the oppression there's tremendous protection and there's access into the glory that's why I like having the communion table at the beginning of service like we do we have a different pattern than a lot of places this is what God's laid on my heart and I love that we come together and we unify under that blood because when we do and, and it's a corporate thing it's a collective unified thing together and we reverence the Lord and we come up under that blood together and we make sure and examine ourselves that it's clearing the air from things that need to be purged out of our lives or out of the ministry. And we come together into the glory because of the blood. There's something extremely powerful. Well, I think about how what represents Jesus' body and blood goes into our body and blood. And the Bible talks about, you know, a marriage and it compares a human male and female marriage it compares it as a mystery and I believe it's Ephesians chapter 5 at the end of it Paul said behold this is a mystery he's talking about a husband and wife but he says yet I'm speaking of Christ and the bride and there's some kind of an intimacy the two becoming one that we see in a husband and wife but the Lord and it's not a sexual thing but the Lord is wanting a closeness a, a relational thing with him that that it's not a lot of people in, in Christianity by and large don't really have a deep meaningful close relationship with the Lord and that God wants that Jesus wants that and I believe that the communion table plays a role in somehow that there's something about his body and blood what represents it going into our body and blood the two becoming one there's something that paves the way for an intimacy with the Lord there's something about the communion table that helps us get from the outer court to the holy place to the holy of holies. Let me explain. In the outer court, you had that bronze altar where the animals were killed and sacrificed. And the grate that they were laid upon was a cubit and a half high. And when you went from that into the holy place, there was the communion table, the showbread. 
and the table the top of the table was a cubit and a half high and it represents the blood you follow me the outer court that great was where blood was the communion table represents blood and then it, when you went into the holy of holies and the ark was there the mercy seat where the blood was applied was a cubit and a half high and what God is trying to show us is the way to get from the outer court into the holy of holies is by the blood and I believe I, I think sometimes people are a bit shocked in my wife's testimony and how victorious you know she's been living and and how we're doing we're doing well but what people have to understand is is we have a revelation of the blood you hear what I'm saying we have a revelation of the blood and when you understand the blood you understand great protection and great deliverance there have been many people that have got a revelation about the cross and really understood the power of the cross for sin for transgressions for iniquity to be purged for healing not just physical healing but healing of the soul and the healing of the spirit a person made whole and people delivered of things whatever it is and people get a real revelation of this and there's such a flow you know it's like reaching out and grabbing hold of that cross and laying hold of the promises of God what Jesus paid for and that beginning to break through now, a lot of people have never really understood about faith but faith is laying hold of it amen faith is believing that you have received it and then walking that out now, a lot of people don't understand that in America they they want to believe after they feel or see change but faith is before you feel or see change faith faith is a substance as people will believe they have received and lay hold of that and lay lay into the Lord see I don't pray about Lord forgive me for something and then I wait until I feel one day that I am forgiven before I believe that I'm forgiven big mistake you pray and you believe God I believe I receive your forgiveness now same thing for any other thing you need you know it's all paid for at the cross all right God's divine exchange Galatians 3:13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written curses everyone who's hung on a tree in order that the in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith God's divine exchange at the cross what you and I deserved was laid on Christ and once people really get a revelation of the cross I believe that healing is available I believe deliverance is available but at the same time people have got to lay hold by persistent faith in the cross and they also got to be willing to say Lord if there's an area that is blocking my blessing or something show me how to pray show me how to clear the air so I can really walk in what Jesus paid for me to have that's humility and that's true faith but I want you to think about the cross in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 there were a list it's K 
categorized into nine, but they were just, you read these passages, there's all these curses that come. These curses came because of people's disobedience to God. They wanted to worship other gods. They wanted to bow down to idols. They wanted to practice the occult. They wanted to get into sexual immorality. They wanted to do other things that were wrong. And God said, you know what? I give you a choice. I lay before you life and death, blessing and curses. Please choose life. But if you don't, if you choose to live in sin, then you're going to open the door for the devil. And here's what's going to happen. And he, lists, he goes through this whole, these paragraph after paragraph, these things will come upon you. And it can be broken up into nine categories. And here it is. Number one is humiliation. Number two is an inability to reproduce in any area. I mean, that can be, you know, having children, but it can be a number of things. Being unfruitful. Number three is mental and physical sickness. Number four is family breakdowns. You see divorce, family alienation, strife. Number five is poverty. Number six, defeat. Number seven, oppression. Number eight, failure. And number nine, God's disfavor. And too many people live plagued like that. They have these areas of their life. Now, Jesus paid for it. He paid for sin. He paid for sickness. And he paid for deliverance. But it's got to be laid hold of by faith. How many people out there, Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, but how many people out there, you can walk right out here tonight and you can meet somebody within 10 minutes that is not appropriate that to their life at all. They're a sinner, they're apart from God. Even though Jesus died for them, they have not received him. They have not received forgiveness yet. You see what I'm saying? How many people, they're, they're Christians, they may even you know, really love the Lord, but yet they're battling sickness. Or they're battling some kind of a, a bondage to the devil. Now Jesus paid for it, but here's the revelation. We have to understand that we've got to lay hold of it by faith. And so the divine exchange is this. The curses. That the curses under the law. Okay, this is why I just read you these nine curses. All of this went on Jesus. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that he became a curse for you and I. When he was hanging on that tree, because the Bible says in, under the law, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. And so Jesus, you know, Jewish um, capital punishment was stoning. But God had to make sure that Christ came in the fullness of time. Because Roman capital punishment was crucifixion. And it was not meant that Jesus would die by stoning. It was meant that he was going to be hung on a tree. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus, when he hung on that wooden cross, the Bible says that he became a curse. And God's divine exchange was is that the curses that belong to you and I because of our disobedience came on Christ. And so now, because of that, all those curses can be broken off our lives and the blessings that were given to Abraham come on us. And the blessings given to Abraham are exaltation. They, they're broken down into seven categories. Exaltation means promoted. The head, not the tail. Top, not the bottom. Number two, health. Number three, long life. Number four, reproductiveness. And that means fruitfulness in every area. Number five is prosperity. Financial prosperity and abundance. 
And some people hinder that because they're not really givers. It's sad. And number six is favor, God's favor. And number seven is victory. How many knows Jesus wants us to have victory in battle, to be overcomers? So this is God's divine exchange where curses are now exchanged for blessings. Also, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness and by his wounds you were healed. And it is in the Greek, were healed. So you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So this is a past tense. You were healed. In God's divine exchange that Jesus took in his back, stripes, and, and people don't understand, we're not talking about like a belt. We're talking about the cat of nine tails that, that ripped his back open. His back was plowed open for our healing. And there were seven places, I'm still talking about God's divine exchange, where this, the payment for sickness went on Christ so that healing can come to us. There were seven places I preached many times that Jesus shed his blood, and the first was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he sweated drops of blood. Where Adam and Eve at one time basically said, not your will, God, our will be done. And they rebelled. But Jesus in the garden said, God, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus broke the power of rebellion right there. The second place was on his face as he was struck and he was beaten and his beard ripped so that the glory of God could be seen upon us. The third place was on his head where a crown of thorns was beaten into his skull and he bled upon the brow of his, um, the sweat of his brow, he was bleeding there. And where Adam had to work by the sweat of his brow to toil and it was a curse of poverty and a poverty mentality, Christ broke the power of that. The next place was on his back, he bled for your healing. The, the, the next place was on his hands so that we can have power in our hands to destroy the devil's works when we lay hands on people. And the sixth place was in his feet that we will have authority and dominion that everywhere we go, that God will give us everywhere the soles of our feet tread. We have authority, the Bible says, to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. And then the last place is in his side, and this was after his death, but his side was pierced and blood and water came. And we know that at a birth, when a woman's given birth, there's blood and water. And also, when Adam was put to sleep, a rib was taken from his side. And so what Jesus was paying for was for people to become children of God and also for him to have a bride. And so there were seven places. This is God's divine exchange where once we would have lived a defeated life, wasting away in sin. Now Christ says, no, because of the cross, you're going to be overcomers and you're going to conquer you're going to overcome rebellion. You're going to show forth my glory. You're going to have a prosperity mindset. You're going to walk in health. You will destroy the works of the devil, and you will be my bride in the earth. God's divine exchange that now we can have forgiveness and mercy and healing. We can have righteousness in place of sin. We can have life in place of death. 
We can have blessings in place of curses. We can have abundance in place of poverty. And we can have acceptance instead of rejection. It's laying hold of the cross. You know, the, in the Bible, there was a tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they died. They brought death into humanity. But Jesus hung on that cross and that cross has become to us today the tree of life. And all that will lay hold of that will find life. And I close out by protection. Acts 16.31 The blood on the doorpost. This is an interesting scripture and I want you all to hear me. Whenever the jailer, remember that the prison shook and Paul and Silas, uh, the chains fell off. They walked out and the jailer saw what had happened. There was an earthquake. The prison doors opened because the earthquake, the prisoners escaped. And he knew that under Roman law, that he was a dead man and so seriously that he would have been killed and so he figured well instead of dying at the hands of others he had his sword he was going to fall on his own sword and kill himself and paul saw him and quickly ran to him and said don't do it we're all still here and that sign and that wonder that broke out right there was so miraculous that that, that god shook that place and they all were able to escape and all that. Paul gave him the gospel. But this is what Paul said to that Roman jailer. He said this, believe in the Lord Jesus tonight and you will be saved, you and your household. You have to understand that God is interested in your family. And I'm telling you that generational blessings are so powerful. You need to lay hold of your family. You need to believe God when we come together and we're taking the Lord's Supper here as a church. You need to believe God that it is bringing your family into the kingdom. There's a story I'll never forget that a, a man of God was sharing about a woman that went to his church and, and she, was, um, she had a son that had gotten extremely wayward and he was very rebellious, but it led him into the occult and he got deeply involved in the occult, all kinds of sexual immorality. And she being a Christian, he knew that. So basically, he totally became estranged from her completely. And their relationship was basically nothing at that time and she would pray for him night and day and one day as she was praying the lord spoke to her and said one lamb per household and she had a revelation how many of you guys know when god gives you revelation it is so powerful and it was like light shining in the darkness she got this revelation from the lord that the passover lamb was one lamb but it affected the entire family and so she went and she got communion elements and she was alone with God. And she said, I don't know where my son is tonight and I don't know what he's doing. But she was praying and she said, but Lord, as I take communion right now, I bring me and my family under the power of the blood and this, this power of what you did at the cross and the power of generational blessings. And she took communion and she said she felt something happen. Her son had not talked to her in a very long time. I, I think it was years. The next day, he called her out of the clear blue, and he was crying, and he said he wanted to get things right with God. Something that had held that boy in bondage broke when his mama took communion. I'm talking about the power of the blood tonight.
the power of the blood to break through occult spirits, the power of the blood to break through generational curses, the power of the blood to literally purge out of people iniquity that's been in their life, even generations, the power of the blood to liberate people's minds from the control of the demonic. I'm going to tell you, of all the things Satan's kingdom fears, I believe the blood of Jesus is on the top of the list. There was a woman named Dorian Irvine, his powerful testimony coming out of Satanism, and, and she said that she, she got saved in an evangelistic crusade that came through her town. She didn't know what to do. She just simply went to a church, and um, she was looking for help, but this was a very traditional church. It, it might have been Anglican. I can't remember. But it was a very high church atmosphere. But at least they celebrated communion, you know. But she went there and she was, she was needing help. And she had mentioned to the, the parishioner that, or, yeah, I can't remember who he was. I'm sorry. He was a priest of some kind, but it wasn't Catholic. But she was asking him for help. And she said she'd come out of prostitution and all kinds of Satanism and other things. And she said he just turned white. He didn't know what to do. But she said that she would sit in the church and they celebrated communion on a regular basis and she would find herself coming up off the floor and she was so embarrassed because when they bring out the communion elements and, and what represents the blood, everybody say the blood. When what represented the blood got near her, those demons manifested and she fell on the ground. They just didn't know how to help her. It wouldn't have taken much for a Christian and I don't mean the preacher, anybody just to walk over there and be like, come out in the name of Jesus I mean really take authority and she would have got delivered but they didn't know what to do so they just sat there real pious and watched her roll around the ground you know and then she would get up eventually but I want you to take note the power of the blood her just being near the communion table caused demons to get scared half to death you see what I'm saying she ended up getting desperate and praying that God would send somebody through a series of events, she found a preacher that understood the power of God. And she called him up and said, please help me. And he cast those demons out of her, man, got her free. And uh, she, she's a victorious person in Christ. But I'm, I share that story because I want you to think about the power of the blood. That demons tremble at the blood. And, you know, my wife and I, we've, we've gone through our property and when we bought this home, we walked through that land and we applied the blood over that land as an act of faith. I'm not saying you have to do this, but it's what we felt led to do. We took communion together and we, we pour that juice out and, and maybe some of that, um, that bread which represents the body. And we just open that up and pour that into the ground and say, Lord, this is now holy ground. It is off limits to the devil. This is, this is where the blood of Jesus is applied over this soil. This property is under the blood of the lamb. And we're not going to put up with any funny business. And, you know, we've had some attacks. But I tell you something, no matter what I've gone through, I'll be out and about. And I have felt sometimes, every once in a while, you feel spiritual warfare. Anybody else ever felt that? But whenever I drive onto my property, I feel it lift and I feel the glory. Because it's a place where the blood of Jesus is applied. It's holy ground. In Galatians 1 4 who gave himself our sins that we might he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father will of our God and Father listen 
I believe with all my heart, guys, please hear me that the, the rapture is near. I believe the coming of the Lord is very near. I don't believe we have a lot of time. And while we're living and we're seeing the Laodicean deception, the Laodicean spirit, that falling away, the lukewarmness, the compromise, the worldliness, and you're seeing people go that direction, but you're also seeing a group of the Philadelphia church, an on-fire group of people, that are going after revival that love the Lord and they're getting radical in their faith and those two things are like train tracks they're running concurrent together but you're going to see that the Philadelphia church was promised to escape out a rapture at some point in time it's not long you know what's happening God is separating the wheat from the tares now, I'm going to tell you something about the Lord the Lord has always had this attitude what Elijah yelled out whenever the people of God were worshiping Baal. He said, you better figure out today whom you're going to serve. If Baal is your God, then serve him. And Elijah said, um, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And God's always had that attitude. He will not, he said, you will not have two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. There's no neutrality. You either love me, you hate me. You're either with me or against me. And God doesn't want a group of people that are, that are always flip-flopping about their commitment to him and God is wanting to rescue us out of this present evil age but he's looking for a people that will really truly go after him with all their heart Exodus 20 verse 4 you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the water under the earth you will not worship them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments you know what that's saying there another translation talks about God says I will bless a thousand generations of them that love me what I want you to think about is this. Yes, even though some people have faced some generational curses, but I want you to start believing God that those things were nailed to the cross and they're broken. That's why my wife walks in victory because we've already got the victory. Those things are broken. That iniquity is purged out of the bloodline. And God says, I will bless not only you, the blessings given Abraham on you, but generational blessings will travel down your family line and I will move in your family. In Joel 2.25, then I will restore for you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the creeping locusts, tripping locusts, gnawing locusts, my great army. He said, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. The power of the blood. You have to understand, God has brought us into a covenant. And it is in this blood covenant that we have with God the Father through the Son that now there can be a divine exchange not only for you but for your family lay hold of it for children lay hold of it for grandchildren that from this day forward you understand that God is not just interested in you alone but he's interested in your entire family and the power of the blood the power of the cross the power of God moving in your family that even in Corinthians Paul said that an unbelieving spouse is even sanctified by the believing spouse and the children are considered holy isn't that unbelievable 
How many people out there have had stubborn spouses that refused to get saved, but they laid hold of the promises of God, and pretty soon the Spirit of God broke through, and their spouse came to know the Lord for themselves. I'm talking about the power of the blood. So tonight, as we're living in these last days, and we don't have a lot of time here, we need to be ready to move when God's on the move because he's going to be doing quick activity. He's going to answer prayers, but it's going to be quick. It's going to be like a window will open, and you better jump through that window when it's time because it may not open again. There's going to be harvest fields that open. There's going to be breakthroughs. There's going to be answered prayers, and God's going to move. But it's going to be the completion. It's like the closing of this hour. And when the people of God, when it was time, Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. And they, you had to understand how long that is. America's around 240 years old. Let I me mean, think about the fact they were in there for over 400 years. And that all they had ever known, all that their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents, going back for generations, all that they understood was living in Egypt and for many generations now, all they had understood was being like subculture there and being oppressed there, like a second-class citizen. And it got really bad because under the advice, Pharaoh began to be concerned about Israel and their mass numbers, and so he began to really oppress them. He wanted to keep them under his thumb. And the children of Israel began to groan and began to cry out to the Lord. And as it was, became time, the fullness of time, where the children of Israel were about to be brought out, God gave them a revelation about the power of the blood, and he gave them a revelation about the power of the waters of immersion. I'm going to explain that. And that right there was a great revelation that they needed as they were being brought out. And I don't believe it's any accident that God has been laying on my heart so strong for the last couple years as a pastor that we've had a couple times a year that it collectively, as a corporate body, we've had times that we set aside maybe 21 days, maybe 40 days, where we really fasted together as a church. And we, we came up under the power of the blood. And we began to consecrate our lives. The Bible said he's coming for a bride that's made herself ready, a bride without spot or blemish, and that's what we're doing. We're getting the, anything out that needs to go, and we're spending time in prayer and fasting. And at the end of that time, I've always said, well, we'll have a, a deep consecration service. We'll come together. We're really going to take the Lord's Supper in a special way and really consecrate our lives under the blood. And then my wife and I, during the altar time, we'll anoint everybody with oil. We'll pray for everybody. And I've seen the power of God hit people and that's the sanctifying work of the holy spirit the one who's going to seal us into the day of redemption and then i said if you want to if you want to come out and consecrate your life we're going to go um to this local pool here and we're going to baptize whoever wants to come and most everybody comes and the glory of the lord the power of god that i've felt in that water has been amazing and i feel as i we're immersing people you just feel the power of god surging through them and people that have been uh, cleansed of things, that have been healed of things, that have been delivered of things. I believe with all my heart that as we've been doing that a couple times a year, that it's been led of the Spirit. And I believe God has been saying, 
I'm, I'm speaking out. You remember reading this in the scriptures. Those that have an ear to hear, let them hear. I believe the Spirit of God is wooing us to this. He's drawing us to this because the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm getting you ready as a bride to be caught away to that marriage supper. Keep doing that. Keep praying as a church and consecrating your life and, and, and you know, doing what we're doing. Isaiah 58. We're bringing an offering to the Lord. But see, that's what Israel, on their way out, the Bible says that God gave them that Passover lamb and brought them under the power of the blood. And then 1 Corinthians 10 says that they were baptized through the Red Sea into Moses. And those two things were what brought them out from Egypt and separated them from Egypt. And I believe God is doing that powerfully right now. And they weren't just baptized in the water, but they also, it says they were baptized in the cloud, which is the Holy Spirit. And I believe that those three things, you see the blood, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the waters of immersion, that was what God used to help bring them from where they were to where they were going into their destiny, to be separated. And what I read earlier, Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. God is getting a bride ready. He's calling us to be consecrated. He's calling us to stay pure. There, I believe we still got a little bit more time, but we don't got a lot. And God is saying, make yourself available because there's a harvest to be reaped and there's some things to do that I'm about to open up. I believe that. But God is saying at the same time, keep yourself pure. Keep your head up and your feet moving. Don't allow yourself to get sunk down too deep into the soil of this world. We are just a pilgrim people. We're just passing through. Like Abraham, we're looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. Keep your eyes up. When we see these things on the earth, we look for our redemptions drawing near. But I encourage you, we're going to have, before too long, we're going to have another church-wide fast before the fall feast, and we're going to consecrate our lives. I encourage you to get in on that. Isaiah 58, a place of continual revival. You know, David Wilkerson said about Isaiah 58, he said, Isaiah 58 gives you a pattern of how to live in perpetual revival. And that's true. Those that will pray, those that will fast, those that will consecrate their lives and will give, be givers. Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. There's promises linked to prayer, there's promises linked to fasting, and there's promises released with givers. And those things are powerful. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your blood tonight. We reverence you, we, we hallow your name, and we thank you, Lord, for your blood. And we thank you, Lord, that your blood is over this place and over our lives. And every time when we have church, I always talk about coming through the blood. That's what we're doing. We're coming in the name of Jesus and through his blood, not in our own righteousness, but through the blood. And how do we apply the blood? And this is the last thing I want to share, by faith. In the Bible, it was hyssop, which would be like grabbing a handful of grass and using it as a paintbrush, but hyssop represents faith. We apply the blood by faith. 
and you can do whatever you want to about this I'm just telling you I believe it's a biblical pattern and this is what my wife and I do but every night before we go to bed because the Hebrew day ends and begins at sunset we always have a time I take the Lord's Supper and I pour out a little bit of that fruit of the vine on my property and I say Lord I bring this place under the blood and anything that's not of you it gets off this property this is holy ground and my wife and I pray together and the glory of God comes in I mean strong but it's not about us it's about the blood and understand the glory comes because of the blood and Sandy and I are we're not content without the glory and we take time to really worship and pray and we come through that blood and the glory of God comes in in a strong way and when I say a strong way I'm saying this for your benefit that when I pray for people in the altars and the, and the Lord's really moving I'll start sensing that glory and I'll go oh that's familiar that's what I sense at home that's the glory that God wants in our lives but it's going to be there where the blood is applied see the priest went into the holy of holies with a cup of blood and he took his finger and he sprinkled it seven times on that ark where the mercy seat was and that's where the glory of God came was on the blood and then of course the next morning my wife and I have a time where we pray you know and I, I take the Lord's Supper also but she does too but we pray and we have that morning sacrifice so to speak that time of coming through the blood and and spending time with the Lord and um, just fellowship just getting to know him spending time with him but that morning and evening sacrifice is a time every evening and every morning to bring your household under the blood and it's that continual daily coming under the blood fresh that will keep the glory in your life I used to wonder years ago because I didn't understand the blood God would really touch me sometimes you know at a, at a revival meeting and sometimes even in my own personal prayer life God would really touch me real powerful and then other days it was not there it was really dry and I thought man what is the deal why is it so up and down and I know some of that is probably God just teaching us to be humble because how many knows it certainly isn't about us it's not how hard you praise and worship it's not how spiritual you are it's not how many scriptures you can quote but when I understood the power of the blood and I understood it's none of that it's nothing about me at all and I could humble myself under that blood and realize it's only by the blood then the glory began to come and stay and I love the glory of the Lord I don't want to live a day without the glory I was with that, a pastor friend this week I love her much and he's been a blessing to me and he started talking to me about the glory and I said brother I know about the glory I love the glory too and we had a kindred spirit about that trust me there's a lot of things that we feel the same about but I want the glory in my church and I want the glory in my home and it's only going to come by the blood.